Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com, and you are listening to the Prospect Podcast. I just dropped a seven-round mock draft. It is on CBSSports.com right now. Get there. All 255 picks in the 2020 NFL Draft. Analysis for all 255 picks in this mock draft. Yes, we are pre-free agency and a lot of team or every team's needs will change over the next couple of weeks. And there's only one trade in this mock, which of course we'll see way more than that over the three days of the draft in late April. Um, But as a small spoiler, the only trade I have, I had one trade, the Indianapolis Colts moving up to number 31 overall to take Jacob Eason and the 49ers moving out. The 49ers certainly feel like they are a Super Bowl contender having just played in the Super Bowl. But right now, as it currently stands, they only have a first rounder. Their next pick is not until the fifth round. They need to add some day two and early day three selections um, to just replenish the roster in terms of its depth. So uh, that's the one trade that I feel like is bound to happen, or at least the team that will trade out. And as for the Colts, they have a bunch of second-round picks. Their GM, Chris Ballard, has done a good job building this roster, clearing the cap space, so they have a lot of cap room. 
Um, and even if they sign Phillip Rivers, which I think they probably will because of the coaching connections and that they probably feel that Phillip Rivers, maybe on a two-year contract, could get them back into the playoffs where you never know what's going to happen. They This is the time for the Colts to use the extra draft capital that they have. And it's early draft capital. They have multiple second-round picks to move from the second round back into the first to get a quarterback that's their hopefully their long-term solution at the position, get the full five years of the contract. Jacob Eason at 6'6", um, with a long or strong arm. Um, yes, he needs to be fine-tuned a little bit, but I think his accuracy is pretty good for being a stronger-armed quarterback. Uh, he's just not very good under pressure, and I don't think his processing is super quick. Landing where he does not have to play right away behind a really good offensive line with Frank Reich, having Jacoby Brissett there potentially, having Philip Rivers there potentially would be the perfect situation for him to develop. So that's the one trade that I had in this mock. So no, we're not looking for perfect accuracy here this far out from the draft. And we really are only like 40 odd or 45, 46 days out from the draft, but this far away, um, it's more about seeing where prospects could land, how the board falls, positions that teams could prioritize at different portions of the draft, um, and then just some prospects to get in your head of potential players that your team could ultimately pick. So get to cbssports.com right now, seven-round mock draft. It took a while. It's always a fun Pretty exhaustive process to do one of these every year, but it is very informative and gives you a good idea um, of kind of prospects that could land in specific situations and who teams could ultimately decide on in the second and third round when there's multiple still solid players on the board. So having gone through a pretty stringent process of doing a seven-round mock draft, I'm just going to do like a miscellaneous podcast where I have my scouting notebook open right now, which it's not really a notebook. It's on Google Sheets, um, which I'm assuming and hoping almost everyone does it this way in 2020. And just going to talk about some of the prospects. Um, you can call them sleepers. You can call them dark horses. Just guys that I have draft crushes on that I'm a little bit higher on than the consensus and just give a little synopsis of why I'm higher on them and just their overall game can take a mental note of these players. You can write them down in the notes app on your phone um, or just keep them in mind once we get to the draft or over the next couple of weeks as we see pro day numbers come in leading up to the 2020 NFL draft. I'll start. There's not really one at quarterback. I think there's really a distinct line after the top four guys. Um, I, I'm not a big fan um, or top five guys. I, I do like Jacob Eason enough because of the tools that I could see him going early in the second round. After that, you have Jake Fromm, you have Jalen Hurts. They don't move the needle enough for me. Positional value is the highest, um, but I'll skip quarterback for now because either Fromm or Hurts, I think they have a long way to go as being productive passers in the NFL. At the running back spot, I have Cam Akers as my number two running back. That's how it was pre-combine. Nothing really changed after the combine. Um, he's just very compact. He has a very thick lower half, light feet, um, 
noticeable burst once he gets the ball. There's not a lot of build-up speed in the backfield. He's instantly in top gear. Uh, I think he's got really smooth uh, juking ability. He's just a naturally elusive runner. His vision is good. And then what's kind of set him apart from some of these other guys that have similar skill sets in this class um, that are similarly sized to Cam Akers. He's a home run hitter that, that we saw him hit long runs, take screens 60, 70, 80 yards at Florida State. Is he going to run away from everyone in the NFL? No, but I think with his receiving ability, the elusiveness, the contact balance is pretty good, um, and how compact he is, how how low to the ground his center of gravity is, um, and then you add in that speed, I think he has the makings of being a legitimate feature back. He's a little smaller, shorter, doesn't matter to me at all. I, I almost like running backs that are smaller. Um, so Cam Akers, I'm a little higher on than most. The running back spot, right behind him, Anthony McFarland. he's my number three running back. Seems way higher than the consensus. He played at Maryland. He's only a redshirt sophomore. Um, But I really believe that his athleticism, although he didn't test through the roof at the combine, he actually had a pretty disappointing combine performance. Instant suddenness um, with his athleticism, similar to Cam Akers, that he's in top gear right away. I think his athleticism is of franchise NFL back quality when he's on the field. I think he's finds the cutback lane very well between the tackles that he's a little smaller. So you think, okay, he's a, this fast twitchy guy, smaller. We need to put him on the outside. He's good between the tackles. Maryland's blocking was probably as bad as Florida state's this past year that those are probably the two worst offensive lines that I watched in the, in the ACC. Um, McFarlane, when there was some more NFL talent on the Terrapins roster in 2018, we saw that Ohio State game. Go back and watch the Ohio State game and tell me who the best player on the field was. I don't think it was Dwayne Haskins. I think it was Anthony McFarland in that game. Home run hitting ability down the field, ran in the 4-4s at the combine, I'm pretty sure. Um, just has everything that you want of a from a modern-day running back. Is he going to run through tackles? No, but I'm not a huge uh, power running back proponent at this point in the NFL. You want to lengthen these careers from these draft picks as long as you can. Um, so with Cam Akers, you have a little more thickness in the lower half. You have more ability to bang between the tackles, but McFarlane is just as much of a home run hitter. He's very twitchy. He has very good vision between the tackles. I think he's probably going to go on the third day of the draft, and it will kind of be in that Philip Lindsay type um, mold where we'll be surprised as a rookie or in his second season how productive he is just because he's so he's faster and more athletic on the field than he was at the combine. I really, really like Anthony McFarland's film, and he's just kind of the running back that I gravitate toward. That I, I I like the guys who can make you miss, bounce off tacklers, aren't looking for contact um, more so than the head down, uh, lower the shoulder, booming running backs like a Zach Moss or a, a J.K. Dobbins or um, a Keyshawn Vaughn to a certain degree. Uh, so those are my two running backs that I'm a little bit higher on, and they're near the top of my running back rankings right now. Wide receiver, and I wrote wide receiver watch throughout the college football season for CBSSports.com every week. It was a lot of fun. Went out to like 10, 12, 15 wide receivers when I realized, like, wow, there's this many legitimate prospects. Um, I have T. Higgins, number one. Not changing that. That's where it's going to be. Um, I, I think he's A.J. Green-esque, uh, Cortland Sutton-esque. 
I really like CeeDee Lamb. I love Jerry Judy. Those three receivers are inside my top 10, just how my grading system worked out. Um, so, But I'm not going to go super in-depth on T. Higgins because I've done that enough on Twitter. Um, if you have any questions, though, certainly leave a comment here uh, on Apple Podcasts, which is where I'm assuming you're listening to it, or Spotify, um, or just reach out to me on Twitter at Chris Trapasso. Um, let's see. The, the wide receivers I'm a little bit higher on would probably be my number 10 and number 11 wide receivers, Isaiah Hodgins and Gabriel Davis. I think with Isaiah Hodgins, he's 6'4". He had a pretty good uh, combine, ran close, I think right around seven seconds in the three cone, which at that height is very good. Ran 4'6'1", but I wasn't really thinking he was a speedster. He gets downfield um, with good double moves, and he's a downfield threat because he catches everything. I think he's just behind... T. Higgins in terms of having the most impressive combination of ball skills and catch radius. Very natural hands catcher will catch anything outside of his frame. Arms extended, taking a hit. Um, He's not going to create a ton of separation at the intermediate levels, but I think he got twitchier as his career progressed at Oregon State. Um, And I thought, in 2019, as a true junior, um, or maybe he was a redshirt junior, I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but his third year contributing where his stats got better each season, I saw him make more s- sudden movements in his routes and after the catch. He's not going to give you a lot once the ball is in his hands, but I think with that size, with the experience, just tracking the football down the field, running the vertical route tree, third day, third round, fourth round, fifth round, I think he'll be a quality value pick at that juncture of the draft. Gabriel Davis, I mean, that's not where I'd pick him. I'd I'd pick him earlier than that, but I think Isaiah Hodgins will ultimately go fourth to sixth round and be a good player. Gabriel Davis, similar in that he was used pretty much go route, post route, slant route at UCF. Uh, His movements remind me of Odell Beckham, just like how he looks on the field, like his hips, his feet, his his head fakes. He just reminds me of Odell Beckham in that way. Certainly not the athlete that Odell Beckham was and doesn't make the ridiculous circus catches that Odell Beckham did at LSU. But he's a big play guy. He tracks the football very well, um, was a big play target for UCF. They just threw the ball up to him and most of the time he came down with it. Um, he ran four, five, four at the combine. Also good size over six, two, uh, well over 200 pounds. I think he's pretty good after the catch. He's what I kind of label as someone who's efficient after the catch that he's not going to like jump cut a safety and, you know, pull off a spin move, uh, to free himself down the field, but he will just catch the football, get north-south, make one subtle cut, maybe run through an arm tackle and get you four or five extra yards. But he just has the the, the kind of well-rounded game, although he is, you could say he's raw running his routes, um, that will be that will make him a good value pick on the third day of the draft, second, third day of the draft. Um, any other wide receiver class, he'd probably be a second or a third round pick. He'll probably go in the fourth or fifth in this class. But Gabriel Davis and Isaiah Hodgins, those two are probably looking at my list. The two guys I'm highest on. One other player, uh, and I talked about him on the Chargers podcast yesterday. I, I'll tweet that out, that link to that podcast again. It was Charger-centric, but I did talk about just uh, draft prospects in general. Darnell Mooney from Tulane. He's 5'10", 175, but super sudden off the ball. Will beat press coverage. He's certainly short arm, small frame. 
ran in the four threes at the combine. So he has legitimate elite speed down the field. At Tulane, they didn't really throw the ball a lot. Their quarterback ran a ton, but his market share numbers were pretty good. They were above 30 uh, in 2017 and 2018. In the mid-20s this year, they got the transfer from Oklahoma State, and his name is escaping me right now, um, Jalen McCleskey. So that kind of it bit into his um, production. But not only having 4.38 speed and being this guy that can beat press with his quickness, but you watch him catch some of these balls down the field, back shoulders, contorting his body, high pointing the football like he's a six foot four, 230 pound perimeter receiver. Um, I'm not going to say he's Tyler Lockett, but reminds me somewhat of Tyler Lockett, who was pretty quick, was small and was a speedster. And then you're like, oh, he just, he must be just running by everyone. You turn on the Kansas State film and you saw him making outstanding catch after outstanding catch. And he's done that with the Seahawks. Darnell Mooney, do not forget that name. He'll probably be almost assured to be a third day selection, but with the speed, with the production early in his career, that he wasn't just feasting when he was a 22 or a 23 year old. um, And just with his contested catch ability of being a smaller receiver it's a good combination to have the speed and the ability to adjust to make difficult catches darnell mooney um my number 18 wide receiver right there next to john john hightower from boise state i um, gotta watch a little more of him but those are two really fun speedsters that are under the radar that if your team needs that vertical element at number three wide receiver maybe your second wide receiver those two after Isaiah Hodgins and Gabriel Davis that are a little bit more well-rounded and bigger, uh, those two, Darnell Mooney and John Hightower um, from Boise State, kind of reminds me of Robert Foster, taller but just sprinter speed, four fours down the field. They can take the lid off of a defense. I'm going a little bit longer than I expected. I'm going to skip the tight end class. I mean, it's just not a good class. I mean, there's going to be guys picked in the second, third, fourth, fifth round that would be day three picks or sixth or seventh rounders in most classes. The one guy I guess I could talk about for a second, uh, Devin Asiasi from UCLA. There's some talk that he wasn't the most, uh, didn't have the best work ethic at UCLA and kind of ballooned up uh, with his weight at times. But you see him at this bigger size, the intermediate level, good ability to separate really sinks his hips and explodes out of his breaks. Uh, pretty good after the catch. There's like a play where he hurdles a defender as a tight end. So he has some ability. That's probably the, I guess I would say the best value selection. Um, so yeah, skipping tight end for the most part, offensive tackle. I have a huge draft crush on Matthew Pert from UConn. He was one of the longest and tallest offensive tackles at the combine. He played right tackle at UConn and just destroyed everyone in the AAC, which you probably need to do um, if you're playing at UConn and want to be an early pick. I don't know where he's going to go. He had a pretty good combine too. Um, His quick sets where he just jumps right into the defensive linemen um, are outstanding. And you have to be bold to do that because if you miss, you are totally exposing your quarterback. But he has the footwork, the balance. uh, He anchors very well. He could even get a little stronger. Uh, he's a legit 6'6", could add 5 to 15 pounds to his frame and really be a quality power player. But his movement skills at, at right tackle, I believe, 
second or third round after we're talking about all the five top offensive linemen off the board or offensive tackles off the board and it's oh there's no you know quality players left anymore maybe Ezra Cleveland could be the sixth um Matthew Pert do not forget that name I think he's instant starter instant I would say high-end starter by the end of his rookie season going into year two at right tackle. Don't move him to left tackle. Just keep him at the right side. You need to have good pass protectors on the right side of your offensive line today. They don't have to just be a Phil Holt type of road grader for the run game. You need good pass protectors on both edges. Matthew Pert from UConn. I, I'm just a really, really fan, a big fan of him, um, and I think he's going to be a good player. Uh, let me see. Anyone else? Uh, not really anyone that stands out. That's I mean, I guess obviously my rankings are a little different from the consensus, but that's probably the biggest one that stands out. He's my offensive tackle number seven right now. I'm just a really big fan of his game and how it's going to uh, project or, or transition to the NFL. In terms of interior offensive line, I have Natani Muti as my number one interior offensive lineman. The fact that he played a little left tackle and you saw him not look out of place there uh, says to me that he's going to be an above average athlete at the guard position. And he's ridiculously powerful. We saw the 44 reps on the bench uh, at the combine. And a lot of times that drill or that event at the combine doesn't translate to the field or you don't see it on film. With Muti, you do. He moves people. So you like that he um, has the tackle-like athleticism and then the strength. So he's my number one interior offensive lineman. Right behind him, Jonah Jackson, who's kind of the opposite. He's not really going to put people into the dirt. He's not an impressive athlete. He's not super powerful. He's just so well-balanced. He kind of reminds me of uh, Evan Mathis um, of the Eagles, who was just so good for that team earlier. Um, You know, pre-Carson Wentz, like when they were still competing under Andy Reid and they just were kind of growing to having one of these really good offensive lines in the league with Peters and with Jason Kelsey at the beginning of of Kelsey's career. Evan Mathis was this like tall, awkward-looking guard that just blocked everything. He wasn't pancaking guys, but he blocked everything. He actually was a pretty good athlete. I went back and saw his combine when he was coming out of Alabama. It was pretty impressive. Jackson's was not tremendous. Uh, a few weeks ago at the combine, but the Rutgers transfer just blocked everything in the Big Ten. Did not look, um, you know, out of place at Ohio State this past season. I thought he was their best blocker. Um, very good balance despite playing high. Awesome ability to reset his hands, so he just keeps his hands inside, even if they get swiped away or knocked down. Very quick to do that, and he, if he's beaten, he recovers outstandingly. My top center is Matthew Hennessy, Matt Hennessy from Temple, um, just ahead of Cesar Ruiz from Michigan. Ruiz is probably going to go earlier than Matt Hennessy. He's bigger and the movement skills are there. Like you, just a wider body player right now. I think he's ready to deal with power more than Hennessy is. But Hennessy's balance and his athleticism, both are good athletes. Hennessy's a better athlete, I think, and, and the combine showed that. He could play... It seems like he could play tackle. He's that athletic. There's teams that want to run a lot of stretch runs, zone blocking scheme, and aren't good and, and don't want to be worried about uh, having someone that's a liability in pass protection. I think that's Matt Hennessy. Give him half a season 
to add some weight, a full year to, to become NFL strong. And I think we're talking about one of the better young centers in the NFL. Uh, so that would be my number one, my number two, my number three, and my number four interior offensive lineman. Uh, beyond that, not anything super surprising. Linebacker, I do still have Troy Dye as my top linebacker. I think health could be a concern with him because he was banged up a lot in his career at Oregon. And I've said this a few times. I wrote in my initial notes for him that he had problems beating blocks. And then watching him again, I was like, oh, yeah, he had a club on his hand as a senior. So it must have been kind of difficult for him to get off of blocks. I love his ability and coverage. It's not flashy, but he sinks so well in zone, um, can make plays on the football, reads routes behind him while watching the quarterback's eyes. Not a crazy run defender, but I think we can get sucked into liking linebackers that are great against the run, but either don't have any experience in coverage or just not good doing it. Kenneth Murray is a freak athlete. Patrick Queen is pretty good in coverage, but when you're talking about Patrick Queen, uh, you're talking about Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech. They like have no experience in coverage. They were either playing the run, spying the quarterback, or blitzing. And I like that, yes, that is becoming a role with all these um, mobile quarterbacks today, but you got to be able to cover. You got to be able to sink in cover two uh, and be that middle defender. And I think Troy Dye is the best at doing that in this class. I have Willie Gay right behind him. Um, I, I like Kenneth Murray. I, I mean, he's, he's my number five um, off ball linebacker. So that might be a lot lower than the consensus. Patrick Queen, number four. Um, I just think with Murray, he just is going to take a year or two to learn the nuances of playing in coverage. He has the athleticism for it, has the length to do it. Um, but Troy Dye would probably be my biggest surprise at that position. Defensive line, I have Javon Kinlaw ahead of Derek Brown. That's been the case since the college football season. I think he gives you more upside as a pass rusher, better length, more pop in his pads along with better hand use. Derek Brown is the best bull rush in this class. I don't know what else he can do as a pass rusher. Occasionally, you see a swim move, but he's better at dispatching blocks laterally as a run defender, and he's awesome against the run. He's not going to miss tackles. He's going to get off blocks. I just don't know if there's in 2020 into 2023, 2024, um, when his rookie contract expires, if there's just enough value in the game today to have a run-stopping defensive lineman that you picked in the first round, that's just an okay pass rusher. I think Kinlaw can be a better pass rusher at his length with the pop in his pads along with the pass rushing move arsenal. Um, one other guy that's probably I'm probably a little bit higher on, my number eight defensive lineman, McTelvin Aguim from Arizona, or Arizona State, from Arkansas. He's kind of this sleek, long pass rush specialist that against the run he I'm not going to say he looks disinterested but he just gets washed out against the run but as a pass rusher he like has a pass rushing plan on almost every snap when it's a passing situation his hands aren't super heavy but they're effective in most cases he showed up as a late add to the senior bowl and in those one-on-one reps I thought he did a very good job kind of put himself on the map there um I th- I would pick him in the third or fourth round um and you could say look he's not strong enough yet he's not um reliable enough against the run but i'll just use him as a nickel um pass rusher on the inside and i think with his quickness his length and his refinement as a pass rusher he can be effective playing 20 30 snaps a game so that's someone that 
I don't really see a lot of discussion about, but McTelvin, a game, a game, a g i m. I'm pretty sure it's a game. Um, really fun pass rushing specialist, which you don't really see typically at the defensive tackle spot uh, later in the draft. There's usually a lot of guys that can't really bring it as a pass rusher, but are good against the run. That's he's a unique type. I really really like him. My number eight defensive lineman right now. Uh, moving to the edge rusher spot. I have Caleb on Chasen as my second um, edge rusher. I've talked about that quite a bit. I posted a TikTok on a lot of different social medias, Twitter, Instagram, um, and obviously TikTok initially about how he wins. I, I think he's just scratching the surface of how good he can be. He's only 20 years old. Um, he could have very easily gone back to LSU, would have had a 10 to 12 sack season, and we, we would have been talking about him as a top 10 selection uh, guaranteed in the 2021 class. Um, I really like him. My number th- three edge rusher, which when I came, when I looked after I recalibrated after the combine and to just see where this position kind of stacked up, when I saw Curtis Weaver, I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. I mean, I I liked his film. He had a good combine, ran a seven-second flat uh, three-cone, which you want to hit that threshold if you're an edge rusher. And he's big. He's 6'2", 6'3", 265. So that was a really good three-cone time for him. I didn't think it would be that unpopular to have Curtis Weaver as the number three edge rusher. But looking around the internet, Twitter, um, seeing a lot of mock drafts with him going second, third, fourth round, um, that was really surprising to me because I think he is, he checks all the boxes that you want to see production at an, at an early age, which he certainly had. He was productive and very productive in the mountain West for Boise state in all of his three seasons, uh, with tackles for loss, with sacks, pressures, has good pass rushing moves. Maybe doesn't have 15 different moves, but I think he, the four or five that he uses a swipe move, a swim move inside counter, um, are good. He can win with just explosion and bend as is evidenced by that seven second three cone. Um, so he's kind of the complete edge rusher to me when you're looking at just checking all the boxes. That's not Chase Young. That's not Caleb on Chase on maybe not all pro ability, but to do all that at, at six, two and two sixty two sixty five, 265, um, where you're not having to add 10 to 15 pounds and wait for him to get stronger. I really like Curtis Weaver. I have him squarely inside my first round. I don't think at this point he'll go there. Um, but Curtis Weaver, that would probably be the bigger um, surprise compared to the consensus in my edge rusher class. Um, one other guy, I guess I'm a little higher on, my number seven offense or edge rusher, uh, Jonathan Grenard from Florida. I've said this throughout this uh, pre-draft process, that his high-level flashes look first round pick worthy that he looks like he was playing as an NFL edge rusher in the SEC last year. He's rocked up 250, 260, very chiseled. Um he can be a little stiff around the corner. Uh ran seven one three in the three cone at that size is not terrible um but it's not fantastic. Um but I think he uses his hands well. I think his motor runs really high. He has good burst off the ball um, plays with some power too, converts speed to power. You're going to get some inconsistencies, some quarters and some games where he doesn't really get into the stat sheet, but then he can, I think he can take over games. Honestly, like I think a second, third round pick on him where you're going to just get some inconsistent play, but his highs are going to be like, Hey, we kind of got like a first round talent here with Jonathan Grenard from Florida. Um, he's my number seven edge rusher. 
Quickly finishing with corners and then safeties. Um, Noah Igbenogany is my number four cornerback. I have him in my first round. What he was able to do in terms of his mirroring wide receivers in his second season in the SEC, playing the position, started at wide receiver, has the parents that are both Olympic athletes. Um, I think the sky's the limit for him. I'm not going to say he's Byron Jones 2.0, but similar in that he has springy, freakish athleticism. He's going to be able to change directions with some of the craftier route runners in the league. Very physical at the line. Could get a little bit overly grabby. Um, his butt... I'm okay with that. I'd rather him be a little more aggressive than be too passive coming into the league as a rookie. And with no Igmanogany, you get speed down the field too. I, I don't think many receivers are going to just blow past him. Um, very chiseled, doesn't carry a lot of bad weight whatsoever. Um, his hips and his ankles, so flexible, such a smooth athlete. He's my number four cornerback ahead of guys like Jeff Gladney, A.J. Terrell, Jalen Johnson. I like um, uh, Michael Ojemudier as well from Iowa. Tested through the roof at the combine after kind of getting the label of being a zone cornerback at Iowa, but he gets his hands on the football. He's over six foot, over 32 inch arms. Checks a lot of boxes uh, that most teams want in their outside cornerbacks. Second or third round for him makes a lot of sense. And then safety. Uh, I talked about this on two for one drafts with Mike Renner and Austin Gale, the PFF podcast. Um, but Kayvon Wallace and Terrell Burgess to me are two of the most valuable safeties in this class based on what safeties are asked to do today that you watch an NFL game you will see many times throughout that contest a team's free safety strong safety whatever you want to call them matched up in legit man coverage with a slot cornerback and typically the offensive or the team with the ball on offense will target that safety and say he's a liability he's a safety he's not a corner we have our really quick slot receiver there. Kayvon Wallace and Terrell Burgess. Kayvon Wallace from Clemson, Terrell Burgess from Utah. They have cornerback-like twitchiness and just natural ability to stay in the hip pocket of receivers. They'll get their hands on the football. They are very productive from a ball production standpoint. Um, they can carry out normal safety duties, range from, the, from center field. They're both smaller, um, but they're right around 5'10", 5'11", 200 pounds, so they're not tiny. They're not like limited in their physical profile they really play bigger than that they throw their weight around in the run game very aggressive instinctive players um you've heard about you know isaiah simmons if you want to call him a safety which i am Xavier mckinney kyle duggar dal pitt antoine winfield but Kayvon wallace Jul uh Terrell Burgess and uh, Julian Blackman being another that he's played corner and safety at Utah is a good player. But Kayvon Wallace and Terrell Burgess, um, to me, are two of the most valuable players in that they can do cornerback things at safety, and they're probably going to be third to fifth round picks. Whichever team picks those two players, I think will be very happy uh, in the future. All right. Well, that'll do it today. That was longer than I thought, but thank you for listening. 30 minutes. Um, check out the seven round mock draft. Um, a lot to get to ranking each individual position by their skills, the top players, who's the best with ball skills, who has the most speed, who's the best after the catch. I'll be doing wide receivers coming up at CBSSports.com. But again, get to the seven-round mock draft. Let me know what you think. Let me know where the mistakes that I made. And then there was certainly no mistakes. I definitely hit every single pick correctly pre-free agency um, and with no trades. Uh, so get to that mock draft. Thank you for listening. I'm Chris Trapasso. This was the Prospect Podcast.